What's up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time, a podcast put on by the Telecommunications Technology Media Group here at Honor and Porter. I am your host, Evan Rothstein. I'm glad to be back with my co-host, Yosh Eisbart. And today, Yosh and I are welcoming into TMT Time a fallen lawyer, a former lawyer, Paul Koenig, who is the CEO of SRS Aquium. Paul, welcome into the podcast. Awesome to be here. So, Paul, why don't you first start off by at least telling our listeners, what is SRS Aquium? So we're a company that's about 14 years old. Uh, we have two primary lines of business. One relates to mergers and acquisitions, and the other relates to complex loan transactions. And on each of those, yeah, so we'll start with M&A. Uh, if an M&A transaction is going to happen, there are a number of things that yeah, come together in connection with that where people can try to do it themselves or they can look to us to help with uh, those elements of the deal. So uh, we can help them with shareholder communications, uh, escrows, payments. After the closing of the transaction, there's always a lot left to do with uh, shareholder representation of, you know, representing those former shareholders with any post-closing issues. And then on lending transactions, largely the same. You know, they can do a lot of the administrative fun functions themselves, or they can look to hire us and then we take that for them. So I said that you were a fallen lawyer, and that's because you used to practice law uh, at one of my competitive law firms, whose uh, name will not be mentioned. Uh, like Harry Potter, how did you transition from being a lawyer to having this idea to start the company and, and ultimately, you know, build it up? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's not that the fallen lawyer, it's not that I was ever unhappy as a lawyer. I actually liked it. I uh, found the work interesting and liked the clients that I, you know, I've worked with. And so I wasn't fleeing anything. It was more that I was working on these deals and then saw this as an opportunity. I worked with a bunch of venture capital funds and a number of them said like, hey, you know, we're obviously happy when we sell one of our portfolio companies, but there's this shareholder rep thing that we absolutely hate and we don't have a good answer for it. And it seems like every time we do one of these deals, someone has to jump on the grenade for the team to get the deal done, but there must be a better way. And so they originally asked if the law firm that I founded before this company could serve as the shareholder rep for a whole bunch of reasons. It's a really bad idea for lawyers or law firms to take that on. So I said, yeah, that doesn't exactly work. But then a few months later, went back to this client. He's you know, a good friend of mine, uh, Jason Mendelson, and uh, you know, said, like, look, the law firm can't do it. But what do you think if you and I start this and we go after that? And he said, awesome, love it. And so that's how the company got started. For those of you that don't know, that was a name drop, Jason Mendelson, one of the famous uh, fund founders, investors in the state of Colorado, a well-to-do individual here in our parts. Am I right, Yosh? You are correct, sir. I'd love to pivot uh, slightly because all of um, you know the lawyer speak is um, riveting. Um, I object. You know, Paul, <laughs> Paul uh, you know, from from. What's interesting to me and 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 the millions of listeners that that follow this podcast millions, is, I love it, is uh, is is kind of the startup journey and 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 you did a you know a hard right angle going from the law world into starting your own company and you've been around now for fourteen years and you've had 
tremendous success and tremendous growth. Kind of reflecting on that, what, what are some of the things that you look back on um, starting off the company that you may, uh, you may want to do differently? Oh, wow. That's not where I thought you were going with that question. Um, yeah, I mean, starting a company, I was working as a lawyer and that was going well and you know, made a nice income and um, liked what I did. And so in some ways, you know, taking a flyer on like, hey, here's an idea, but I, you know, it's kind of a coin toss whether it was going to work, it was kind of nuts. Um, the other thing I think, Yosh, that you and I have talked about before, so I've started two companies. Both times I've started the company, my wife was pregnant. And so with the first one, she was like, okay, I get it. You know, that's what you want to do. I'm supportive. Um, and, you know, go after it. The second time, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, that company I started and, you know, it's going really well. You know, I think I'm going to start something different. She was just like, yeah, seriously, like every time I'm pregnant, you need to go off and, you know, try something new. <laughs> so, you know, it is definitely something that like, you know, anytime you go after a venture like this and you say, yeah, there's a lot of upside to it, both, you know, potentially financially and potentially, you know, personally, where it can be a lot of fun, but it's definitely a wild ride. And I know people say that, but, you know, it's, it's hard to overstate, you know, and Yosh, you know, this from running your business, like you're going to have days where you feel like you're on top of the world and you're crushing it and you're going to be the next Bill Gates. And you have days where you're like, that's it. It's over. Yeah, it was a good run, but you know, I guess I'm gonna have to, you know, go find something else to do. So, you know, what would I do differently? Um, you know, I think there's a lot that I've been really fortunate about about having really great partners as we've gone along, and uh, you know, you know, great you know management team where most of the things that our company does, someone else at the company is better at it than I am. You know, there's. Yeah, I couldn't do the role that our CMO does. I couldn't do what our CFO does. Our product person is much more talented at that than I am. So, you know, number of things that we've done well, but I've also made a ton of mistakes. You know, we've, uh, we've tried, you know, products that just flat out didn't work and wasted a lot of time and money on them. And, you know, a lot of those were my idea. And, but I do think, and I don't know if this is getting to the question that you asked, but one of the things that we've talked to our team about a lot is that's okay. And in fact, the riskiest thing you can do with a company like this is not take risks. Because if you try to play it safe and you try to just you know, sort of go along, it's just a matter of time before your competitors kick your ass. You, know, you have to say, we're going to, you know, take, we're going to take calculated risks. We're going to be thoughtful about them. We're going to make mistakes. And when that happens, we're not going to look to, you know, chop someone's head off for it. We're going to say like, yeah, you know, we knew that that was part of what we'd be doing. Now, what have we learned from it? And how do we you know, make sure we get better going forward? But that doesn't mean we're going to stop taking, you know, the, taking risks or making mistakes as we go along. So I got a lot of follow-up questions on that, Paul. Uh, and I'll start with perhaps the most inappropriate one, which is, if your wife happens to get pregnant again, I encourage you to call me because <laughs> I'm always looking for new opportunities. And, you know, if I don't have a career in the law or the podcasting, probably definitely not podcasting, I would be interested in uh, exploring something else. But uh, one of the things that you said about risk-taking, lawyers, we don't take risks. Um, 
and we're all risk averse and it's, you know, it's our downfall basically. So um, I'd be interested to hear how you sort of broke that mold and got out of that both for yourself and then how you encourage your colleagues at the company to embrace that kind of mantra. Uh, you know, maybe the answer to that is I wasn't a great lawyer because, you know, I would, uh, when I was a lawyer and I don't know, maybe this is good, maybe this is bad, but I would say like, hey, you know, here's the risk, you know, talking to a client, like, here's the risk. Now, if you're asking me, I'd do it anyway. Now that's probably not the right legal answer, but you know, my legal answer is to you know just flag the risks and you know tell you what you should be aware or beware of. But you know, if you're asking like you know practically, I'd say like I think it's worth the risk. Now I might be wrong, and you know you might get you know burned by that. But I always saw you know I always saw the role of you know lawyer as like, hey, look, you're a trusted counselor and advisor, and that means more than just legal counselor and advisor. And I don't know, maybe that meant I was you know, not doing what I was supposed to do as a lawyer. And I should have just, you know, said like, well, you know, what I'm supposed to do is what I'll flag the risk. So. No, I think actually that's probably what endeared you to your clients, because I think one actually where lawyers constantly fail is here's their seven options. You pick one uh, yeah. or you could do this or you could do that. And I'm going to caveat it in seven different ways and never get to the right answer and give straight advice. So I, I, I what you're saying speaks to me. Yeah. Yeah, and then how does that translate to our team? Um, you know, I think it's like, you can say that, you can say all the right things, but then they're gonna watch what you actually do. And so if what happens when someone makes a mistake and you know, with all businesses, mistakes are inevitable. If what happens is you go on a witch hunt or you fire someone or you scream at someone, then, you know, people are going to say, okay, well, I get it. You know, next time I have an idea or, you know, something where I'd have to go a little bit out on a limb to, you know, try something. There's no freaking way I'm going to do that. I saw what happened last time. So I'm just going to keep my head down. If on the other hand, you say, okay, no problem. You know, and, you know, one of the other things that, um, you know, we talked to our team about is we start with the assumption that we have good people with good intentions. And if you start with that assumption, then you know you have to have something change that you know, change your perspective. Now, if someone just was completely reckless and you know did something that you know was either they intentionally did something or they were like you know just completely out of line of you know what they should have done with respect to taking risks or being sloppy or something like that that's not going to be tolerated. It's not like we just say like, oh, we don't care. You go ahead, do whatever you want. But if someone was a good person with good intentions who happened to make a mistake or try something that didn't work, then what's critical is, well, what did you do when that happened? Did you, so did you go after them or did you in a way almost recognize that as a good thing of like, yeah, that's a good example of what we've been saying. We're going to, you know, try to move forward with this company, which means we're going to try things that don't work. Uh, I, Yosh, I don't know if you picked up on some of the, uh, what do you call them, uh, startup sutra nuggets that, that Paul is dropping earlier about leadership, especially the, we have good people with good intentions and we trust them. I would be interested in digging in a little bit about, Paul, how you do your hiring, how you identify good people and how you empower them, because I really heard a lot of what you're saying it, for my teams, I'm really key on ownership and taking ownership of things and, and empowering others, but I would love to get your perspective on those types of things. 
Yeah, that's a great question because you're right. If if you don't have the the right people joining the team, then you know you're only as good, especially with a company like ours as as your team. And interviewing is an imprecise science. I mean, I've heard the things like if you get it right half the time, you're doing really well. I don't know if that's exactly right or not, but I mean, what are some of the stuff that we try to flush out in you know the interview process is. You know, what is the mindset of the person and what kind of culture do they want to you know, join? Do they want to you know, join something where, you know, we move fast and we're growing aggressively and you know, we're going to seek to be disruptors? Or, you know, do you uh, have people that, you know, really would be a better fit somewhere else? Um, and, yeah, then, uh, you know, try to get a sense of, uh, you know, is the person not just like, you know, they look good on paper, you know, where they have the right, you know, resume, but, you know, they have the disposition where, you know, they're going to be inquisitive and, you know, they're going to, you know, want to, you know, join something where, you know, they really feel like they can add something. And then the final thing is to, you know, be as honest as we can about who we are. You know, it doesn't do us any good to try to sugarcoat something or paint a picture that then they join and say, okay, well, that's not really the reality of what you sold me when you were interviewing. And so, you know, to say, you know, in the interview process, like, hey, here's what we stand for. Here's the kind of team you'd be joining. If that's something that excites you, great. If not, no hard feelings. Um, but let's figure that out now, not after you've been here for a month. So shameless self-promotion alert. Yosh and I just did a podcast with Joe Thurman of Interview IA. Damn. All, all about how to get the right people in your organization. So for our listeners that are wanting to dig in more on this topic, you should listen to the previous podcast, right, Yosh? 100%. Again, it was riveting. <laughs> so, Paul, we're close to running out of time, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Hawaii for at least two minutes. Um, our listeners know that I recently spent some time in Hawaii Paul and his family recently spent some time in Hawaii. I did try and play the big time card and get Paul hooked up with a dinner uh, at a certain restaurant on the big island. And I epically failed in that regard. And so my apologies, Paul, to you and your family. You missed out on some good sushi. But I would like to know where you went when you were on the big island. What were your favorite spots and what you enjoyed with your family? It was an awesome trip. It was um so yeah, I have two daughters that are going off to college this fall and to be able to do a trip with all of us before they go their separate ways was uh, super important for us. And uh, so got one of my kids certified in scuba diving and the others nice. are going to. So we did a bunch of cool snorkeling, saw sharks and dolphins and, you know, dolphins in the wild, not like dolphins in the theme park where you had yeah, SeaWorld. Them. Yeah. yeah, dolphins that are actually swimming around and uh, sea turtles. The coolest thing we did was a manta ray night dive where the manta rays come like inches over your head. Um, so awesome trip. Did they uh, hike across the volcano? Um, awesome. Super fun. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, it's one of the only active volcanoes in the world. I think it's the only active one in the United States. You actually get to see lava running, which is pretty awesome. Hmm. I did not know that. There's actually a big forest fire, brush fire going on on the Big Island right now that I was reading about. It started, I think, a couple of days after you left, Paul. Really? We missed that. All right. So what book did you read when you were on your holiday? 
yeah, that's probably going to make me sound like uh, an idiot. I didn't actually uh, brought it. I did brought a book, but I was so tired at night that I would like look at the internet for five minutes and fall asleep. I didn't get into anything. And then on the flights, this isn't at all what you asked, but on the flights, um, I had an advisor a while ago, uh, and I know Yosh has heard this from me before, who he's a strong advocate that you know, if you're running a business, you should take a day or two to go to the proverbial cabin in the woods with a pad of paper and a pen and just start writing and see what comes of it. And he said, you know, at the beginning and like no internet, no TV, no cell phone, like just a pad of paper and a pen and see what comes of it. And he said, you know, the first couple hours, you might just doodle, it might just be nonsense stuff, but then magical things start to happen. And, you know, I don't necessarily, I haven't lived up to doing what he's, uh, you know, told me I should do of go to the cabin in the woods every month. But if I do have a seven hour flight, I generally use those flights for that. And so I didn't read on the plane either. Instead, I just took that time and other people are, you know, watching movies and doing whatever else. And I just take like that flight by myself to have this pad of paper and pen and just start writing stuff and see what comes of it. Can you share anything that, uh, <clears throat> that came from that? Oh, is it inappropriate to ask if your wife's pregnant and you're gonna call me? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Might have to be uh, next wife for that. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's a good story. And I'm okay if you're not answering my question. This is not a deposition and I'm not going to try and pin you down. That was better than what book you read. Uh, Yosh, do you do that? Do you sort of zone out and go off grid for a bit to try and, you know, generate some new ideas? I, if I'm going to go off grid, um, I'm going to try to go to actually a silent meditation. And so I've done those in the past and I've found those to be um, a great, incredible recharge. And there's tons of reading and tons of writing and no talking. And um, so that, that's, that's kind of my uh, climbing up the mountain. All right. Well, this was awesome, Paul. Thanks so much for coming in to TMT time. We so much appreciate your time. Yosh, obviously, I appreciate your time sometimes. Uh, and Paul, we we'll wish you luck with the new ideas that you jotted down on the plane fight. And obviously, the best of luck and success with SRS Aquium and the frothy market. Thanks, guys. Take care, Paul.